Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 15, Romans 15 and verse 14, as we continue our study of the little term, one another, as we find it repeatedly in the New Testament. Romans 15, 14 is where we'll begin. When you get to heaven, how surprised do you think you'll be at what you find out about God? Do you, do you think you are growing in your knowledge of him that you would be less and less surprised of what he is like? The scripture says that right now our knowledge is like looking in a mirror dimly. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, we will know him fully. 1 John 3 says that when he appears, we will see him as he is. So do you think we're supposed to grow in our knowledge of him so that we would understand him better? Or is it okay just to kind of wait? You know, it's okay. I don't need to know him now. Just surprise me. Really. If you were on an online dating site looking for someone that you might consider to marry, would you say, I don't really need to know much about this person. Just surprise me. No, you want to know as much as possible before you meet them face to face. God intended for us to get to know him now before we see him face to face. How do we do that? We get to know him with a two-way relationship. We get to know him when he reveals himself to us by his word. We get to know him as we express ourselves to him in worship, right? A relationship is two-way. He reveals himself to us by his word. We express ourselves to him in worship. What we find out today is that that happens best right here. When we gather together, we are to get to know him best by teaching one another the word of God, of what God is like, and as we sing together in worship of him. So let's take a look at those, teaching one another and singing with one another. First of all, teaching here in Romans fifteen fourteen. Paul tells the Roman church, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. There's our phrase, one another. This is a compliment. How encouraging was it for the Roman church to hear from the Apostle Paul this affirmation, threefold affirmation. The first one is, you are full of goodness. You're a good church, he says. Uh, Morally good, good reputation, mature. Um, Paul doesn't write to address scandal and division. You're a a good church, full of, of goodness. Secondly, he says you are full of knowledge. Actually, it's a different Greek term of, of completeness. There's a, there's a sense of, of knowledge that you have of God's word. And keep in mind, all they had was the Old Testament, and now, they, of course, they received the, uh, the epistle of Romans. 
But your knowledge of God's word is, is good. You are well taught. And Paul isn't taking credit for this himself because Paul had not planted the church in Rome. In fact, he hadn't even visited yet. Uh, the church in Rome probably started when uh, believers from, uh, that, that from Rome had been there at Pentecost, Acts 2.10, and probably took the gospel back to them. So Paul isn't saying you're well taught because of what I did, but rather you, you, you are rather complete in your knowledge. But then there's this third thing he says. And you are able to instruct, or you may have the term admonish, one another. The term means not the same as teaching one way, but a admonishing a relationship in which we, the word actually means to warn or counsel someone about their behavior. You're able to do that with each other. So it wasn't that they were deficient in their knowledge of truth, though we can always grow in our knowledge of truth, but rather that they would always need challenged about the application of truth. No matter how much you and I gain of knowledge, you, you take uh, the New Testament survey class this summer and you, you, you've been listening to sermons and you're, no matter how much knowledge we have, we will always need to be challenged about applying that truth. One another. Why is this a mutual thing? It's because when, we come, when it comes to application, no one person knows all the ways to apply Scripture for you. Have, I know you've had this thought. You're, you're, in a, you're listening to a sermon, and you think, oh, I know someone who needs that. Right? You, yeah, you're going to send them a link. You're going to tell them. You know. Is it possible that someone has ever thought that about you? I know who needs to hear this. You see, we are often blind to our own uh, spiritual gaps and needs. And so we need each other to be admonished. Uh, most of what I share from here are things that most of you already know in terms of truth. But so often what God uses teaching for is to apply it, maybe in a unique way. This, uh, this term, instruct or admonish, uh, the Greek term is nuthateo, and I don't usually bring up the pronunciation if it doesn't mean anything, but if you have ever heard the word uh, nuthetic counseling, it comes from this word. Nuthateo, uh, the idea is simply a nuthetic counseling that you counsel one another based on God's word. That's the simplest way to, to see it. So, here in Romans, Paul is affirming there his confidence that the body can minister to one another, and whether it's a personal conversation like counseling, or whether it's a group discussion, or whether it's a public teaching, he doesn't actually say. The church in Rome met in, in homes. No, no, no church buildings there. Probably in a city the size of Rome, there was no central place where they all met. But for example, in chapter 16 of Romans, verses 3, 4, and 5, it refers to the church that met in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. So that's probably how the church gathered in different places. And, and Paul was expressing his expectation that, and, 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 and of affirmation that they were actually doing this as they gathered and, and talked among themselves or proclaimed by whoever was doing the speaking, preaching. Uh, you, 
you have that ability to speak into each other's lives and expect life change. So, does this mean that we can uh, kind of walk up to any other Christian in church that we observe doing something wrong and we should tell them about it? Well, just try doing that randomly. <laughs> no, this, this is based on a relationship of trust. Are there a few people at Open Door Bible Church that you trust enough that if they would speak to you about something they're seeing in your life that you would not be offended that they said something? Uh, this is culturally abnormal. If we don't, we don't address those kind of things. But, you know, if you were riding with someone and they were driving and falling asleep, you wouldn't care about what's culturally acceptable. You would say something. You'd grab the wheel. And so would we be willing to, to warn someone? But again, to receive admonishment, you must have a person's trust which means substantial love, support, affirmation, grace over an extended period of time. But he is expecting, that's what all the one another's are about, he's expecting that you're building those kinds of, of relationships. We need each other's insights. I'm convinced one of the reasons why so many Christians struggle so much is because they won't listen to anyone. They bristle, even though it's a, a friend, a mentor, a pastor, a spouse, a parent, a child, who in love is seeking to, to point something out. On the other hand, I've seen people who have received that kind of counsel humbly, and it's, it's powerful and effective. Admonish, instruct one another. Turn to Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16, we're going to see this word actually used again, but now it is paired with the more uh, common word for teaching. Teaching and admonishing. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So first of all, we see that the word of Christ is to dwell in them richly. How? It's as they teach and admonish one another. One another. Uh, to dwell in you richly. First of all, the word of Christ. The word of Christ is kind of a unique way to refer to the word of God. It probably is emphasizing the teachings of Christ, which they had already but it would apply to any communication of God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word is to like be at home. It's, like, it's a living. So, so, so the word of Christ is to be like a normal. It's like the place where you always go. So the word of Christ needs to be so, become so familiar that it's a, it's a fabric of our, of our mindset to think biblically instead of to think worldly. Has the word of God so saturated your life that it's not an afterthought that someone needs to point out to you, but that it's your first thought? Is the word of God soaking, if you will, in your heart and your mind and so that it creates like a, a filter? 
So that if you're watching TV and you see something that's evil, you recognize it as evil. And, and, it, and you, know, you know how the, just the cultural drift, we begin to believe and accept all different kinds of false ideas. But if we are saturated with God's word, there's a filter in which we, we recognize things. And if you're, you're watching or listening to the news and you're suddenly, maybe even as a Christian, you're, you're panicked and worried about things that God doesn't worry about. Do you have a filter that says, God's in control, God is sovereign? Do you think biblically? So how will this happen? Well, from verse 12 on in this context, he's very clearly describing this happens as we meet together. And that is, that is clear when he says, so teach as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. There's something especially powerful about learning the word of God, not just individually, but corporately. Because you're with people that you have known, people that you have uh, differed with on things that don't matter, but agree on the word of God that does matter. Things that, people that you have uh, had a relationship and worked through things, maybe they hurt you and you forgave them. These are people who you, you taught their kids in Sunday school or they taught yours or you held their babies in nursery, you were in congregational meetings and you made decisions together and you have lived life together and so there is this special weight that comes when you get around God's word and you talk about it and you discuss it and you think about how it applies to your life and it comes to bear with a special uh, sense of uh, authenticity because it comes from people you know. And so you're ready to embrace the truth because you understand it through people's hearts and lives to whom you are connected, teaching and admonishing one another. So you wake up some morning and you're discouraged about something that you're facing. But then you remember and you, you remember that, that, that on Sunday or, or at the Bible study there was, there was this discussion. It was the word of God and people you know and you trust and they were reminding you of this truth and, and you, you take heart. You go to work and you, you sit at the same cubicle and hear the same gossip and perversions you ever did, but suddenly you have a different way of looking at it because you were reminded that you are meant to be distinct in this world and you suddenly love and accept and serve these people who are of the world and have a heart to, to love them and reach them because that's how Jesus did. And your mind is continually transformed because the word of Christ came to dwell in you and it took on special power because the people of God that you know agree about these things. And you're growing spiritually because uh, this, this kind of a gathering on a weekend is a priority to you and your family and, and this begins to follow into successive generations and you take heart. I was looking this week just at First uh, and Second Timothy where Paul is uh, talking to Timothy about his ministry and how many times the word of God is mentioned as the way we grow and the focus we have to have. And he basically mentions three things. The public reading and teaching of God's word. The teaching of God's word in discipleship relationships. 
and the personal reading and application of God's word. So we're just going to read some of those passages, okay, that address these issues of how God's word says God's word should be central. First of all, the public teaching of God's word. 1 Timothy 4, kind of describing his letter, Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things. 1 Timothy, God's word. Likewise, 2 Timothy, remind them of these things. Be one of those that is rightly handling the word of truth. You understand it and you're communicating it. Public teaching, public teaching and reading. Preach the word. Declare it. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This, this, is, this is to be a time when God's word is coming to us. And to realize it's actually God speaking to us. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We, we call ourselves, of course, a Bible church. Not that we're the only church that believes and focuses on the Bible, but it is what we do. And the Word of God says the Word of God needs to be central because if we are here to develop a relationship with God, we have to hear from Him. This teaching is not optional. And as we're looking at God's word, it cannot simply be the pastor's ideas. We are all under the authority of God's word, and then we teach one another. Last week we were uh, focused looking at uh, Hebrews 10.25, where it says, Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together, but encouraging one another. That encouragement is really kind of a subset of, of teaching because we are to, it's of course using God's word to encourage, exhort one another. Devote yourselves to it. It also happens in discipleship relationships. Paul said to Timothy, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, so Paul taught Timothy and others, entrust these to faithful men more, who will be able to teach others also? Do you see four generations of teaching here? Paul, Timothy, those Timothy will teach, and those that will be taught by those that Timothy taught. <laughs> the reason we are here is because this has been happening through the centuries. In fact, the, 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 to me, a rewarding part of being in part of this church family for an extended period of time is to now see kids that were being taught in Sunday school in leadership positions teaching as adults to see the generational and the spiritual generational transfer of truth and commitment to God's word. And finally, personal reading and application of scripture. While we speak of teaching one another, the reason we can teach one another effectively is because we have personally as well been engaged in God's word. So 2 Timothy 3, But as for you, referring to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's referring here to uh, Paul's knowledge of Timothy's family. We find also in in the books of Timothy that uh, Timothy's uh, mother was a believer, though his father was not. And so he, he learned the word of God from infancy. What a challenge to, to young parents while, the, while your babies are young to, to realize that this is a continual thing at best when, when our whole family can gather around God's word. And that is how, Timothy, you were saved. 
the scriptures that you learned were able to make you wise so you believed, put your faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of it. The next verse says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. So it's, it's going to apply to our lives every different way. And this, there's a progression in these terms. Teaching is like the road that God wants us to be on. Rebuking is telling us where we got off the road. Correcting is how to get back on the road. And training in righteousness is we don't want that to happen again. And so God's word is sufficient to teach us. And we see this process happening over and over Is there a weak point in where you're hearing God's word? Is it the public? Is it the discipleship relationship? Is it personal time? Discipleship uh, means that you begin to take responsibility for someone else's spiritual growth and you are building into their lives. It's a true sign of maturity when, when uh, God's word, church, and all these things are not about consuming it for ourselves, consumer mentality, but rather, how can I minister uh, to others? We, we desperately need that. Who do you teach? Could you explain the gospel clearly to a child? Maybe your child or somebody else's. So that they would know how to get to heaven. Uh, who, who are you building into spiritually? Who are you, who's building into your life spiritually? If there's a friend you have at church that, that uh, you know, they're struggling, they have questions, can you find the answers? Not that we're always going to know them at the top of our tongue, or even, you know, a child asks you, and some people are scared of, of children's ministry, I don't know how to answer that question. Well, maybe you don't know how, but do you know how to find out how to answer the question? It's a process. That's discipleship. And what about your personal uh, time with God in, in his word? If this, if this hour is the only input you have from the word of God, how is that going to balance out 40-some hours at, at work where you'll be hearing whatever kind of ideas, maybe 10 to 20 hours looking at a screen that probably isn't teaching biblical truth, how is this one hour supposed to do that? We need that personal time in God's word along with the teaching of one another and God can build that, that, that well of, of truth that the word of God dwells richly in us. It's only as we spend time personally in God's word that we will have the ability to teach one another. Because God is teaching you something, and you something, and you something, and you something, and now there is this wealth, this, this, this network of spiritual truth that's available to us. I don't have all that truth. I'm not your pope. And, and one friend or one favorite speaker on the podcast does not have all that truth. And so we need a variety of people in our lives teaching one another so that we get to know God even before we see them. Going back to the illustration of online dating, I can't believe I'm using the illustration twice. If you wanted to get to know someone before meeting them, wouldn't it be helpful if you knew somebody else who already knew them? And if you want to know God well before you meet him face to face, wouldn't you gain a lot 
from the other people who know him, have walked with him, have learned from his word as well. And so this is a time and a place and and, and, and Bible studies and adult Bible fellowships and relationships and one-on-one and coffee and all these things where we accomplish that. Teaching and admonishing one another. There's something else to a relationship, though, besides God revealing himself to us. God designed that we grow in our knowledge of our relationship with him by how we express ourselves to him in worship, but again, together, with all wisdom. And as you teach, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So the two-sided uh, coin is the word of Christ dwells richly as we teach and admonish one another, but then also as we together sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our, in our heart, to God. So teaching is revealing God to us, singing and expressing ourselves to God. In, in teaching, he speaks to us. In worship, we speak to him. As we gain confidence about God in God's word, we gain confidence about God's worthiness and greatness in our worship. Singing. It's very specific. That's a, that's a vocal thing. It's audible. Singing with gratitude in our heart. So there's the audible and the invisible of gratitude. If teaching is essential to our relationship of knowing God, how can singing be optional? This is not a spiritual deli. I'll take some of that, but not that. Do you sing allowed in church. If you are physically able to make some kind of joyful noise, do you put spiritual effort into singing with your brothers and sisters in Christ? To whom do you sing? With gratitude in your hearts to God. So God is listening, not for the quality of your voice, but God is listening for the gratitude of your heart. Listening to God's word indicates we are listening to God, but when we sing as worship, God is listening to us. God designed this time that we would corporately sing so that he can enjoy it. That's the purpose, singing with gratitude in your hearts to God. Because, you know, we can say, well, you know, I listen to Christian music by myself. I sing with the radio, I listen to Spotify, my CDs, my 8-track tapes. <laughs> I, I listened I to some Christian music this morning, it, it ministered to me. But it's not the same to God as us singing together. When our family gets together, if it's a Thanksgiving or New Year's or Christmas or just a reunion or Sunday lunch, if whoever's around, we get together. I, I, I find great joy in just being around the table and, and hearing everybody laughing and, and having a good time enjoying uh, one another. God delights when we gather together to sing 
his praises. Go with me to Ephesians 5, where it's in many ways the same verse, you could say, but in a little different context and, and adding a little bit uh, to it. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. You'll, you'll recognize these words, and uh, I'm going to put them in there. Different translations put it different and, and divide this into separate sentences. Actually, verses 18 through 21 are all one sentence. Uh, so I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. Speaking, not speak, but speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Uh, These are grammatically participles, that is, results of a main command. The main command is in verse 18. So to really understanding what it means, singing and making melody in your heart, we have to go back to the main command in verse 18. The main command has a, a positive and a negative. First, the negative. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That means everything you wish you hadn't done when you were drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the main command is to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5 describes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, etc. If you ever wonder what that really looks like, you just need to look at our pick of the week this week. Megan drew out that for you, age 10, so that you know what the fruit of the Spirit actually means. So... Be sure to check that out. The fruit of the Spirit are things that the Spirit produces. In other words, they won't be natural. We are not naturally loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, self-controlled people. That's, that's, in our flesh, we're just the opposite. But by the Spirit, this is who we can be. To be filled with the Spirit is a command, therefore you may or may not obey it. But he's commanding you to obey it. He's admonishing you, right, to obey it. To be filled is a metaphor of be controlled by. So if you choose to drink a lot of alcohol, you will be controlled by that alcohol. But if you choose to yield yourself to the power of the Spirit, you will be controlled by the Spirit. Now, individually, that would mean love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We all understand, hopefully, that, because that is the basic Christian life. That as you seek and realize your need for these character traits, you realize, I don't have this. I must consciously yield myself to the Holy Spirit. That's how I get love, joy, peace, and patience. That's That's how it works individually. But he's not talking individually here. He says there are certain things that when... When the people of God, believers in Christ, gather together, here are the results of being filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. In in verse 20 as well, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And verse 21 is still one more participle, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Giving up our rights. That was an earlier uh, study we did in this series. How we, we, we humble ourselves and submit to one another. But one of these is specifically, in fact, the first application of a group of people who are filled by the Spirit is that they would be singing his praises. But specifically, he calls it, this is a little different than Colossians, speak to one another in songs. 
And the second phrase is making music in your heart to the Lord. Do you follow that? Speak to one another. It doesn't mean to go up to your, Christ, your church friend in Walmart and start crooning amazing grace. So speaking to one another evidently happens here. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A variety of music, singing together for whose benefit? One another. And who else? God. Look at the verse. Do you see anything else in terms of who is to benefit? One another. And who else? God. Who's missing? Me and my enjoyment of music. There's nothing in here about how we should worship so that we really enjoy it. It's simply not the focus. We sing for God, we sing for others. I know that singing is, singing aloud is difficult for uh, many people to sing aloud together in church. Uh, for one thing, if you didn't grow up in a church doing it, it's, it's new. And I have no interest in, in anyone feeling attacked if you don't or haven't sung out loud in church much. But wouldn't this be a place where the word of God admonishes us? And we would receive it. I've made a, I was thinking this week, there's all kinds of reasons why people do or don't sing. I just started making a list this week. This isn't, isn't complete, but maybe you'll find yourself somewhere. As we think about why I do or don't sing to the Lord with others in church. Why I don't and why I must. One reason might be that you don't sing because you are listening, listening worshipfully. I get that. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I take a break too and, wow, it's just great to hear. Okay? I get that. I'm not physically able to sing. Understand that. Sometimes you might come here with a heavy heart. Come with a heavy heart. Sometimes you might say, I don't know the songs. Sometimes you might say, I don't like the songs. Sometimes you might say, I don't like to sing at all. Sometimes you might say the instruments are too loud. Sometimes you might say the quality of music isn't great. Sometimes you might say, I don't sing well, I'm embarrassed. That's when my, my quality of music isn't great. Might be, you'd have to admit, I'm passive, lazy, or too tired. Could be, even be that somehow you're resisting God and music won't really happen then. Why must we? God's word said I should. It admonishes us. God delights in our worship. We know that. Others are encouraged to sing and thus worship as I worship by singing. I was sharing at the Saturday night service last night that they have a special challenge because it's a smaller group. Uh, the smaller the group, many times the, the more shy we are to sing. It's actually when you need to sing louder, okay? <laughs> that to bring that you know, critical mass just like it might, critical mass in your living room might be seven or eight people, but, but here it's it really is encouraging. You may have noticed sometimes when the room is more full than the worship, just, you, just, you just can sense people worshiping. 
You are a part of that for someone else. My joyful gratitude, similarly, my joyful gratitude in song can be contagious. So it's not only the, the volume, your attitude is contagious. When you're around positive people, that's just a general secular thought. You're often more positive when you're around worshiping people, grateful people. It sparks your mind of your own gratitude. But then finally, music is often able to lift me emotionally when words alone cannot. That's why the world uses music in every strange emotional way. But for us, it is meant to be a way in which we are touched emotionally that can, also, can support the, the, the theological needs that we have. The, the truth that we need can be reinforced by our emotions. And music brings that. God designed music. And then finally, of course, the words can encourage me with spiritual truths I was not otherwise thinking of. Have you ever been surprised by something? Wow, I'm so glad they picked that song because that phrase, I needed that phrase today. If you think through some of those and whatever other thoughts you have, do you notice that when we do not sing in worship, the reason is almost always about me. When we do sing in worship with others, it is first about God, then about others, and then, of course, in obedience we experience these benefits as well. We've been studying the one another's now for a couple of months. We're almost done. The importance of the phrase one another is that it tells us that we should learn to think corporately, not just individually. And that's a very hard thing, I think, especially for Americans. We're so independent. If you've been married for a while, you know that being one means that as you think about an issue or a schedule or an opportunity, you immediately begin to think about how this affects us, not just me, right? So it might be that I would like to do that. I don't know if we would like to do that. Marriage oneness means that we begin to think as a team. Living the one another's means that Christ designed that we would begin to think about how do I affect the church? How does the church affect me? How am I a vibrant, fully engaged part of us? Not is this a spiritual restaurant for me, but how am I a part of us? As we're called to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, teach one another, speaking to one another in song, whatever it might be, how is it about us? I have a, a friend, Mark, from Bible College days who has been a missionary in Brazil now uh, his, his whole career. He's a seminary professor there and a, an evangelist. <clears throat> and he, he shared some, some quotes uh, this past week on social media from his mentor from probably 30 years ago, Pastor Kurt Lehman. And one of them that uh, I noted this week was when he was a young pastor working under Kurt Lehman. Pastor Lehman asked him, Mark, have you ever noticed that most of your sentences begin with the word I? 
He said it was a life-changing moment for him. Most of his sentences began with the word, I. We are called into a relationship with Christ so that we would relate to one another. And we need to embrace that. And sometimes the uncomfortable, excruciating changes of mindset it will mean if we are to get to know him best before we see him fully. Grow in your knowledge. Grow in your experience with God best as we relate to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you called our name personally, that you knew us individually before you made the world. You knew you would save us. We, we realize you are a personal Savior. But by coming into relationship with you, Lord, we realize we have come into relationship with all other believers and specifically those with whom we gather as you have designed week by week. I pray that you would enrich these relationships in every way. We would see uh, the value of the church family to ourselves and our value to the church family. I pray that even in these uh, coming uh, several months, as we don't gather as often in the uh, smaller uh, congregations, but we gather uh, week by week and maybe throughout the week in different ways, that the value of the body of Christ will be front and center because you are front and center and we value you most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.